Welcome to Career Buzz, the unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. Today on your show, leadership lessons from a director of engineering. Hey, I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at careercycles.com and co-founder of One Life Tools. I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz. Thanks for tuning in today. Career stories inspire because they make sense of what at first may seem to be surprise twists and turns and then provide valuable lessons learned. Today we hear leadership lessons from Julie Lau, who's a Director of Engineering and Business and Operational Excellence at Chemtrade. That's an industrial chemical company based in Toronto with operations all over North America and Brazil. Julie generously joined the career management class I teach at the University of Toronto. You'll also hear from attentive students in the class who posed helpful questions toward the end of the segment. Here's my interview with Julie Lau. All right, Julie Lau, welcome to uh, welcome to class and welcome to Career Buzz. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, no problem. So can you tell us just, what, you know, what do you like about what you're doing in your career these days? So um, I don't know where to start, but I all I can say is I love my job. Um, I just actually started um, in a new role. I want to say just, but it was about a year ago, actually. It'll be a year, actually, next week. Um, and time flies, but... Um, you know, I, I just mentioned to you guys that I just flown back from Denver and actually we had done some training around, um, transformational change and lean six Sigma and how we need to make the company move forward. And, you know, I'm using this as an example of what I love about my job is, you know, part of me wanting to roll this out to the company was to see people actually change. And in the two days of training, um, we had an external consultant come in, but it was great to see people's minds think a little bit different, open up a little bit and think differently. So, one of the things that I love about my job today is that I feel like I can help people make a difference or sorry, I feel like I can help make a difference by helping people think a little bit beyond what they're so used to in their day to day. Nice. Um, if that answers the question. Yeah. So, yeah, not everybody would think that that kind of answer would come from a director of engineering. So can you just yeah. tell us what what is the role? What do you you know, what's a typical week and and, and what are you doing there at Chemtrade? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Chemtrade um, Logistics, we're a, a chemical company. We we produce three different types of, I would say, three different groups of chemicals. We're headquartered in Toronto, but we have, I think it's about 65 plants across Canada and the U.S., and we have one in Brazil. Um, so my role is, you know, the corporate engineering, I'm going to call it. So it's corporate, I mean, it's engineering and business and operational excellence. So um, the piece that I was just doing the training on was the operational excellence piece that reports into me and a lot of that Lean Six Sigma piece. And part of what that is, is <clears throat> trying to help people think more efficiently, work more efficiently, um, holding accountability. And at the end of the day, it's just to make the business move better. So that's the operational excellence piece. The engineering piece is a lot bigger. So I've got the capital project team that reports into me. Um, so capital projects, we spent... Um, uh, actually, this past year, or in 2022, we're going to spend about $100 million on capital projects. Um, and, and when I say on those capital projects, they're all about stuff with maintaining the plant, you know, replacing um, towers, oleum towers, replacing tanks, replacing pumps, um, in some cases, some structural work, etc. Um, and then this, we've just, and I don't know if a lot of you guys know who Chemtrade are, but we um, back in July, we actually just signed a joint venture um, with a company in Taiwan, uh, KPPC, and we signed a joint venture to do uh, to build a 
an acid plant in Arizona. So that project is going to be, I mean, total cost is going to be somewhere between 175 to 250 million. So we've got a lot of expansion projects going on. That was just one example. We've got a lot of, you know, maintenance type projects. So that capital um, project spend um, and executing all that um, reports into me. Um, and then the other piece of my job is around reliability. Uh, and so, you know, each of the plants, they have their own maintenance departments where they're, um, you know, making sure equipment runs well and that, you know, if they have a breakdown, they make sure that they go in and not only fix the repair so they can get up and running, but also take a look at what we can do to not have that issue again. As a corporate reliability team, one of the things that we're trying to do, what we're striving to do is how we set up the processes to help a lot of those plants, um, you know, work through a lot of the maintenance programs because a lot of times they're so busy just trying to get back up and running that they kind of forget about some of the other stuff that we want to do to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So that's the piece of what I mean, that's why I'm, I'm in engineering. Um, and so that's a big piece of what uh, what I do today. All right. That's a lot, a lot of roles. And it sounds yeah. like there's a lot of stuff going on with the new plant in Arizona and, and uh, yeah. I want. So um, so can can we step back and say, how how did you get here? Right. So, so we know that you started off in engineering school. Yeah. Uh, so can you start us off a little bit and say, you know, what, what led you? I think it was Chem Ent that you did. Yep. I actually, I'm a U of T grad too. So I'm Chem 99, U of T grad. Um, and I, I know one of the things and I, I'm just going to talk through it. it. It's funny because I, I don't even know why I went into engineering. Well, I know why I went into engineering because my dad's an engineer. Um, my older sister actually went into U of T as well. So she graduated three years ahead of me also ChemEng, and, you know, it's funny, I was like, well, I, I like math, I like science, you know, I see what my dad does, my sister's pretty smart, and so I went into engineering as well, um, and then uh, during engineering, I I did not actually do the PEY program, but when I think back on it, I maybe should have done it, um, because I do see now, I mean, I find value in having students for that long term, but um, my first job out of school was, or sorry, during school, so it was a summer job, was for a small company, um, that built combustion equipment um, based in Richmond Hill. And it was great because they were, I'm going to call it a mom and pop shop, right? There was like 30 people, the owners, um, I mean, the, uh, the owner, he's, he's no longer alive, but when he was alive, he had passed away recently, but he had designed um, the whole system. He had patents against it and everything. So it was a nice little mom and pop shop. We had the shop there as well that built and fabricated and everything. And for me, given that it was such a small company, I learned how to do everything. Um, you know, I started doing project management there, but, you know, um, and I don't know if you guys are still using CAD in school, but I remember learning on AutoCAD 10 and then AutoCAD 12. And then I wasn't hired as a drafts person, but being able to work with the drafts people, right? Being able to work with the process engineering design guys. And I was doing the project management piece. Um, but the other piece of it as well is I had the opportunity to actually go in the shops. So I learned how to weld. I learned how to pull wires, terminate. Um, wires, et cetera. I took advantage of it being such a small company to learn as much as I could. Um, but after about a couple years there, um, you know, I kind of felt that I needed more. I needed to learn more. Um, I didn't feel like, I kind of felt like I, this is where I would be if I, there was nowhere for me to move up, I would say, or learn more. Um, and that's when I made. Let me just check. Did you, you said that that was like a summer job. Did you get that? Sorry, it was a summer. Sorry, yes. I went there full time after I graduated. I missed that piece. So, so yes. was there like a job posting or did you just, how did that first job right out of engineering school happen? So it was, they actually called me after I or after I worked with them for the summer um, and asked if I wanted to work full time, which was great. Um, I do have to say, though, I did interview with a couple other um, 
the companies at the time as well, because I wanted to see what my options were, right? Um, and I remember actually, um, you know, I had two job offers. And I, if I'm going to give one piece of advice, it's not always about the dollar that you're going to get with your with your job. Because I think a lot of people get really excited about, hey, I'm going to make an extra $10,000 here, I should make the jump. And so when I when I was hired for the job, I actually had um, that job offer and I had another job offer that was actually $10,000 more than what I was making. Except that other job offer was a, it was a, I think it was a validation engineer for a pharmaceutical company. And that would have just been all paperwork. I would have just been sitting in front of a, a desk or a computer all the time. And even though they were willing to pay me more, I opted to go back to Ecometrics because I knew I would learn more and I would, knew I would have the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of things. So I would definitely say that's one thing that you guys want to keep in mind when you're job hunting. You want to have that good gut feel that it's what you want to do and that um, the dollar, yes, money is always important, but it's not going to be the end all, especially when you're so early in your career. Right on. And and so was there even a job posting for that job that you got offered at the company that you had worked with? No, no, no. They they called me and asked me. I mean, when the summer the summer job, I mean, that was posted when I had applied yeah. and they had hired me. Um, but yeah, they there was no job offer for me. They actually called me. Um, which I thought was great. Um, and just so you know, in my in my last job before I came to Chemtrail when I was at Apotech, we had a lot of situations where we had a lot of students, whether they were on a PEY program or even like a co-op program, depending on what school they went to. Um, we had a couple situations where when they wrapped up their last work term with us before they went back, knowing they were going back for another eight months, we told them, call us in May. And we, in some cases, we actually got them a job offer um, before the next spring, because we knew we wanted them in. So, I mean, graduated. yes, before they graduated. All right, good. All right, so yeah. so fast forward. So you stayed a couple of years there and you felt like it was time to grow and develop? Yeah, so. it's time to learn something new. And, and that's when I moved to Apotex. And I and I spent most of my career there. Like I've literally worked at three companies since I've graduated. And, and nine, almost 19 years of that was at Apotex. Um, the beauty of Apotex is just the size of the company. I, I had... I was given so much opportunity there because every, I would say three to four years, I was moved either into a different role or into a different um, site that felt like it was a new job. So I started doing capital projects there, um, really small at one of the sites. Then I was moved up to the liquid dose site and was doing small capital projects, but then we were doing a massive expansion there. And so um, I got exposed to that. And then I got to the point where the capital team working out of that site reported into me, which I thought was fantastic. Um, and then, you know, a couple years after that, I had the opportunity. Well, I don't want to say opportunity. I was asked to move into maintenance. And I actually tell the story a lot because um, I, when I was asked to move in maintenance, it was one of those situations where you don't say no when your VP is telling you to move into another role. But I was actually miserable about moving into maintenance because I loved capital projects. I loved what I did. And at the time, because we were, um, the company was spending so much money in capital projects, you feel like that's where all the glory is. That's where all the, you know, the gratitude and everything is. Whereas maintenance, it's, it's you know, I would say it's a kind of a thankless job. People never recognize how much work the maintenance group does until something goes wrong. And then that's when they come yell at you. Um, so I moved into maintenance at that point And I, unfortunately, I spent about two months hating it. And it took me like two months in to realize what the heck am I doing? Why am I so miserable here? I, you know, I should give this job a real try. And if I don't like it, I'll just look for another job, right? And I, I, it took me a while to get over that. And that I, I always look back to that as that's like my TSN turning point in my career 
is recognizing when you have an opportunity or take the opportunity to learn as much as you can. And honestly, when I look back at that, if I hadn't made that move, I don't think I would be where I am today. I mean, being part of the day-to-day operations, understanding maintenance, I mean, it was such a big piece of the rest of my career. And, you know, when I went back to Capital Projects after, I mean, part of it, I mean, I actually, and if you saw my LinkedIn, I was actually living in Florida for three years. We had bought property down there. We were looking at doing a huge expansion there. Um, and sorry, we had also bought a company. So I went to go work for the company for a year to get the lay of the land on how things are different in Florida. The construction industry is different than it is in Toronto. What do we have to do differently in terms of permitting and all that? So I spent about a year there. And then I moved on to the expansion that we were building there. And it's crazy because I had a, such a different mindset when I was look, when we were looking at what equipment we were going to buy, et cetera even the facility air handlers and stuff like that as we were designing it is I was in the back of my mind thinking, well, we got to make sure we can maintain it as well. Right. And so uh, it, it made such an impact on me. I think it made me a much better project manager having had that experience living the day to day and in maintenance and moving into that. Um, and then after um, uh, the project was canceled and put on hold, I think Apotex went through a lot of turmoil um, and with that, I moved back to Toronto um, and I moved to a different site. So, again, I had the fortune of being able to be moved around into different sites and into different roles. And that's where I had, you know, larger scope. Um, I was promoted to director. Um, so I had all the maintenance functions reporting into me. I had I was responsible for the capital project execution, but it didn't report into me. So that was a good relationship between corporate and the site. Um, and then I also had the facility staff and, and uh, custodian staff reporting into me. And again, I would say it was I, it was exciting for me. It was such a great learning opportunity to be able to what I to take what I learned at all the other sites and in my different roles and be able to kind of roll it up into a, a bigger role. Um, and what I found what was more exciting about that is you know the people leadership. I'm I'm I think I'm very good at the people leadership thing. Um, I I really enjoy it because I really like. You know, someone's going to ask me what your best accomplishment is in a role. For me, it's to see, you know, one of my managers, and this is, I'll use this example, one of my managers in, um, he was our facility maintenance manager, so all the custodians reported into him. And when he started, not only did we transform the department, what everyone thought about it, but a year and a half later, he was promoted to a production manager. And I, I love stories like that. And I love being able to contribute to people, um, you know, taking that next step, right? You, you run into some leaders that, they never want you to go and they just because, you know, if you go, I'm going to have to do more work. I'm the opposite. So, yes, it is very you know upsetting for me when people want to go into a different role because it's going to be hard for me. But I always want to see what's best for everyone else. So I would say that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about my job, my last job at Apotex. Um, when I made the move to Chemtrade, um, I actually wasn't looking for work. I actually got called by a headhunter. And, uh, and I will tell you this in your career. You always want to, every couple years, entertain what's out there and actually interview because you want to keep your interview skills up. And honestly, over the last 19 years that I'd worked at Apotex, I'd, I'd been offered jobs here and there that, you know, weren't just weren't as exciting as my jobs were. But I always went through the interview process because you want to keep you want to keep that up. But you also want to see what else is out there. I mean, you know, it, it was there's pluses and minuses to staying with the, the same company for so many years. I mean, at least I got to move around into different sites and different locations, lived in the U.S. and all that. But sometimes when you're stuck in a role, um, you don't realize that you're missing out on opportunities. Um, and that was a big thing for me is, you know, when Chemtrade called me, um, 
you know, I entertained it and I spoke with them and it was really, you know, interviewing with my boss and the group VP of HR. I mean, they're just both fantastic leaders. And I'm, and I'm really excited that after I interviewed with them and after I started with them, they're exactly as I pictured they would be during the interview process. Like they're just really great leaders. Um, and having done that, it's, I think it's really opened my eyes making the move into this job is just, um, I can take everything that I've applied, but, um, you know, at, at Apotex before I was kind of, we were structured, like you're given a lot more structure, but now in this role, because of the state of the company is I get to help create that structure even more than I could. Like my hands are a lot more open than they were somewhat tied in my role previously, just because of the structure of the company. Um, but I would never have some of the stuff that I'm doing now, I would never have this opportunity to do it at my last job. And I, I, never would have realized it until I made the move. And it's, I've said it a couple of times to a bunch of people that it was honestly the best career decision I made was to actually leave that company and to come here. Nice. Yeah. So let, let me check a couple of things that you just said about that. Yeah. That was a really quick tour of like 20 yeah. years, right? So um, you mentioned headhunters, right? Headhunters, yeah. recruiters, agencies, you know, and you got called. So can you just say a little bit about you know, nurturing that relationship. I mean, how important is it to nurture a relationship with a recruiter? Um, when does it become relevant in your career? Because earlier on, it may not be as relevant, but pretty quickly, it could become a really useful way to move yourself forward in your career. Yeah, it absolutely is. You know, and it's interesting. I think back to, there was a headhunter, I can't remember his name, but he used to call me and this, I had just started at Apotex, I remember, and he called me like a year later, hey, we're hiring someone at Seabers. I'm like, I literally just started my job. And he would call me every couple of years and I would talk to him every couple of years. Um, but I ended up finding, so why I, while I never moved to a different company through this recruiter, I was able to connect him with other people that I knew that was looking and he was able to help them find good roles. So it's absolutely important to make sure that you I mean, like you said, build those relationships with the recruiters. I, you're also going to run into recruiters that I would say are a dime a dozen type recruiters where they're just in it for the quick buck. They don't actually care about, you know, you making sure that you're happy with your career and making sure that the company is happy with their choice in you. Um, you know, the recruiter that I just worked with to come to Kim Trader, the headhunter, she really, I mean, she reached out to me after I started my job, right, to make sure things were going and I know she talks frequently with the um, the ChemTrade recruiter or HR recruiter as well. Um, but I think it's really important to do that. And I think if you have an opportunity where someone wants to, hey, uh, do you mind if I share your name with this headhunter so-and-so? Um, that's really important. I mean, there is another um, headhunter that um, my old boss, this was like, I, I want to say like 15 years ago, when he left to move on, he's like, Julie, do you mind if I give your name to this? Um, headhunter and he may not find you anything today but I think you're a good name where you know he wants to I think in a couple years from now or in 10 years from now because you know when he's looking for executives or senior management I think you could be there and I, I'm so fortunate that my leader at the time forwarded my name to this um, to this headhunter and actually again he's another person that I've kept in touch with over the years he's actually offered me a couple director of engineering roles here and there it's just they've never been the roles I was looking for, but they were such great conversations that I really appreciate it. And, you know, even when I started my new job, he's like, Hey, Julie, how's your new job going? Are you loving it? That kind of thing. So it's nice that he's asking me not because he wants to pull me to another job, but checking in with me saying, Hey, I saw that you made a career move. And how are you doing? But really, I mean, headhunters are, um, especially depending on where you want to go to your career, like not everybody wants to move up. I don't know that 
you know, when I graduated 20 plus years ago that I knew I was going to move up or if I thought I was just going to be a project engineer forever. I mean, like I said, when I moved into maintenance, I would have been, and I remember telling this to someone, you could have left me doing projects forever and I would be absolutely happy doing projects forever. Right. And just, you know, some people like doing that, but um, you know, I think it's important not knowing where your career could end up 20 years later to build those relationships with headhunters. Absolutely. Because they will help you find what it is you do want to do as well. Right on. You're listening to Career Buzz on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and worldwide at CIUT.FM. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, and before continuing on with today's show, I want to let listeners know about the Career Buzz podcast of inspiring career stories. You can go to careercycles.com and click podcast, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and do leave us a review. Have a listen to the October 27th show where we looked at jobs in sustainability and heard four career stories from grad students tackling climate change. Go to careercycles.com, click podcast, or subscribe to the podcast Career Buzz on any podcast app. Did you know that you can also find Career Buzz on Facebook? We have links to past episodes, pictures, and more. Go to facebook.com slash careerbuzzshow. Now, let's get back to today's episode with Julie Lau, Director of Engineering and Business and Operational Excellence at Chemtrade. Um, what would you say are the, you know, now as a Director of Engineering, what are the key skills that you draw on to be successful? Both technical skills, maybe from your engineering background, but all these other people skills. What are the top few skills to be really successful? So if I'm gonna break it down, I would say the first one is being able to collaborate with people. I think I think people lose sight of the collaboration really easily. Um, and the, the last thing you wanna do is to have everybody working in their own silos and working by themselves without realizing like, hey, you and I should be working together. We need to figure out how to make this happen together. I think that is key in no matter what role you're in, right? I mean, it's huge with my role today, but I go back to early in my career as a project engineer. You need to be able to collaborate with everyone because at the end of the day, you're the one who's responsible for the project getting executed and you need that help from everyone. Um, so I would say that willingness to collaborate and willingness to work with other people is is so important in the job. Um when I take a look specifically specifically from the engineering piece, and because I'm so far out of, you know, I never did any detailed process design. I, you know, I'm a chemical engineer, but I, my career just never took me down that path. Um, and I, I sometimes joke, you know, sometimes I think I know enough to be dangerous, but, you know, not enough to actually be out there designing. But while I don't, I know that I'm not here for my being able to calculate, you know, or determine how much, you know, salt I need to produce, how much, you know, sodium chloride I need, et cetera. That's not what I'm hired for. But what I do realize is that, um, you know, the skills that I learned in school are really being able to think logically about stuff, um, being able to question things logically. Um, and I would say knowing where to get the information. Like I would think when I think back to school, one of the best things that I took away from school is that, um, I found what it taught me was that if I didn't know the answer right away, I would be able to figure out how to find the answer. And I see, like, I don't know if that's clear, but that's one of the things that I feel like as an engineer that 
um, going through school, that really helped me. I think it, um, I'm not always going to have the answer, but I can figure out how to find the answer or figure out who to talk to to find the answer or somehow logically put that together and figure it out and verify it with someone. Um, so I'd say that's one of them. And my last thing is I would, huh, let me think through this. I would say, and I mean, this comes with a little bit with the collaboration as well, but I would say um, being able to respect other people and understanding that everybody works a little bit differently. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty high energy person and I'm a pretty type A personality if you guys haven't picked up on that already. Um, but there's also a lot of people that you'll work with um, that don't, that are, you know, very low key. They're very introverted. Like I'm a huge extrovert and understanding how when you work with um, different personalities that you maybe have to adjust how you're working with them, right? Some people, my energy is too much for some people. And I have to learn depending on what situations I'm in and what meetings I'm in to tone that down a bit. Um, so I would say that is really important in my job today because I want to lead others to think like that as well. Um, and it took me time to figure that out. You know, early in my career, I would never have guessed. I mean, there's, I have, I mean, maybe I shouldn't share those stories, but I do have stories where I would just get so excited that I would get frustrated. And then it would just come off the wrong way and it would send the wrong message. Whereas today I think about that. I'm like, no, Julie, don't say that. Take a deep breath. Think about how you deliver the message because think about who your audience is. Um, so I would say those are, you know, top two, three things that I would say are pretty key in my role today. Nice. Great. All right. I'm going to open it up. I'm sure people have questions in the class here about uh, about your story. And I bet you you've hired a bunch of uh, engineers in yeah. in your story and might be interested to find out what you look for. So who's got a couple of questions to start us off? Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, you too. Um, so my question is, when you're hiring someone or promoting someone, what do you look for in a candidate? So, okay, when I'm hiring someone, so it's, inter it's interesting because in the inter hiring someone in an interview process is different than promoting someone because when you promote someone, you already have a better idea of how they work. When I'm interviewing someone, um, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good, I call it, I have a really good BS detector. I, my biggest thing is in interviews is you never want to try to BS who you're interviewing with. And I'm going to give you a story or an example. Um, you know, I had a, um, I had moved roles from one site to another site. This was when I was at Apotex and someone had, who was at my first site had applied to be a project engineer role in my new um, job. Uh, or sorry, in my new role. So he was applying. So I was interviewing him. And on his resume, he talked about how he completed the capital project that I actually did. Um, and he talked about how he took a couple of those projects. So what his role was is actually he was on the production side of things and he helped start up those projects after the capital was completed. But he put that all on his resume and he kept talking to it as though he ran it. And I, I don't even know if he clued into it, but I kept challenging him on it. The HR person kept challenging him on it. And then I pulled him aside after and I said to him, you know, the reason you're not getting this job and I gave him the feedback as to why. And he's like, well, I guess it's a different perception of how you actually executed the project. <laughs> and I stopped him and I said, but you hear what you just said. You didn't actually execute the project. And I don't think he realized that. But to me, that's like a big flag. If someone is, you know, BSing them or, you know, they, they try to talk their way out of it and they just can't talk their way out of it. So in any interview that you're doing, you want to be completely honest. 
And it is okay for you to, in an interview, just say, um, I'm not sure I have an example of that, or I can give you an example. I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for. Or, and sometimes it's okay to say, you know, ask for clarity to make sure that you're getting, you know, giving the right answer instead of you trying to assume what they're asking you, right? Does that help? Does that answer your question? So yeah. I'm going to answer the second part of your question on when you're promoting someone. For me, when I promote, uh, and I've done that, you know, a couple times, I do take a look at, you know, how they've worked with all, how I've worked with them, but I also want to make sure I'm not doing a bias on them as well. So part of one of the things that I find is really important when you're promoting someone is getting feedback from some of the other peers as well. And so I will put, um, you know, people through interviews, besides just interviewing with me and the HR person, I'll sometimes ask some of my peers to interview them as well, or ask some of my peers as to, hey, what feedback you have on them, and then have a good discussion on them. Um, the last thing you want to do is promote someone in a silo, just because I had a really great experience with them on a different project or in a different role, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be good for this other role that you're promoting them into. Um, so um, from your, in your respect, like if I was the candidate trying to get promoted, um, a big piece of it is, you know, being able to provide visibility to others besides the person that wants to promote you. Um, and so when you're interviewing with others, you want to make sure you can showcase some of the work that you've done. And especially if you're getting promoted from within the company, it's easy to draw on those examples, right? Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Hey, we got one more. <laughs> Hi, Julie. Hi. Hi, um, my name is Alicia, and um, I also graduated from the um, ChemEd program at U of T. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering, mostly because I've gone through the interview process a couple of times, and uh, many times I get um, a letter at the end, or I mean, usually a couple of days after the interview, telling me that they found better candidates. I'm just wondering, in these kind of scenarios, is it possible, for example, to reach back out to either the HR or the person actually interviewed me um, for kind of like a performance review of how I did in the, in the, in, in the interview, kind of like a feedback. Because um, I've been told that it's a bit, um, sorry, I'm trying to find the word. I've been told that it's a bit like petty to like ask for exact feedbacks because technically you're trying to get them to tell you like what you're not doing good enough. Um, and many times that they turned this request down. I was just wondering, but I feel like this is an important, like, mm -hmm. for the interviewees, because then we get to know, like, what exactly are we lacking and what we could improve on instead of just kind of blindly stumbling. Absolutely. So, so I'm surprised someone told you that that is not a good thing to do, because I actually, um, for me, I, roles that I haven't gotten or let me rephrase roles that I haven't gotten that I wanted I always ask for feedback um but that's also no different than my day-to-day -day. you know I always I'm always constantly asking for feedback because I always want to improve but um and I also make a point as a hiring manager to be able to give that feedback directly to someone or we do it through the HR piece I would say with you getting a letter um especially after you've interviewed it's different if you're getting a letter um saying hey we've received received your resume but your resume doesn't meet our needs I don't think making a call, you're not going to get anywhere doing it that way because all they did was flip through a stack of resumes and they just kind of yay or nay, right? But if you actually interviewed with someone, I would start off by reaching out to the HR person and asking them, hey, you know, thanks for the time and make sure you thank them for the time. Can you give me any pointers or is there anything that you 
recommend that I could be doing better in the interview process? And you have to phrase it like that as, hey, do you have any advice for me as to what I could be doing better? But that, I mean, you bring up a really good point. It is absolutely key for you to know what you could be doing better. For sure. Yeah, great, great answer. I always encourage people to get that feedback also. You don't yeah. always get it, unfortunately. Sometimes <laughs> people are reluctant. They're afraid they're going to say something that might, you know, not be helpful or might get them in trouble. And so people are often reluctant. But I think it's yeah, worth It's absolutely worthwhile. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, is um, not so much in the interview process, but even when you're out in the working world, et cetera, and you're asking people for feedback, sometimes you're going to get feedback that you don't want to hear, right? You know, sometimes you're going to get feedback that's difficult to hear. And so the key thing is about when you receive feedback is make sure that you're receptive to it. So yes, you can be a little bit irritated by it, but then stop for a moment and think about, hey, this person's not trying to, you know, get me angry or anything. This person's really trying to give me feedback. So make sure you're receptive to it and find a way to, you know, what could you be doing better, right? And I think it's great that you're already thinking that because absolutely you should, I'm a big supporter of you reaching out to the HR person who interviewed you and asking for some feedback. Absolutely. Thank you. Great. Yeah, thanks. no problem. One more. Yeah, we got one more. Sarah, we got Hi, Julie. Hi. Hi. I'm Christina. So my question is, um, uh, how much uh, importance does reference or reference play a role in recruiting process? Like, if the, if the candidate applies without any reference, or like, they say that it's important to know someone in the company to actually apply to a particular position. So, what role does references play? So uh, uh, there's a candidate. Yeah. So what what will speak for them? So, so here's the thing. I'm, and this isn't going to be a great answer, but it is absolutely 50-50. It depends on your management style. So for me, I find it very important to have those references and be able to talk references. I also find it very important when I'm applying for jobs that I am speaking to the person who's going to be a reference for me. Like when I made the move to Chemtrade, the three people that I had do my reference, I made sure I had someone who I reported into and I reported into like a year ago, like someone recent, someone who was my peer, my equal. Uh, actually, I ended up having two, sorry, one peer. So he was director of engineering at one of the other sites. And then I had one of my other peers who was a director of quality um, be my reference. So, um, so both ways, I would say when they, and you know, I didn't directly ask, but they just said, you know, your references were really good, et cetera. And when I asked the references that I asked of your references, the questions they were asked, they were actually real questions. It wasn't just the check mark. Did this person, did Julie work for you for this year? How long did she work for it? Did she show up to work on time? It wasn't just those check mark questions. They were actually asking questions about leadership. So in that perspective, it was important for them to get good references on me as well, aside from me. But I can also tell you that I've been asked to be references for people where I've done just that checklist. It's not even a phone call. It's an email. A standard form was, what would you say that's great about this person? What would you say this person has to improve on? Was this person punctual and all that stuff? So unfortunately, I would say it's 50-50. But if I was in your shoes, I would make sure I have a strong, a couple strong references to help you that if you do get asked for references. Your second piece around knowing people um, and to get into a job to even apply, it does not hurt to network. It absolutely doesn't. But it doesn't guarantee you a job either, right? I mean, it is, it's so important to be able to network with people so that if you know someone, at least you can get your resume maybe pulled to the top of the list 
but it just doesn't, it doesn't guarantee you a job. And the key is from that point, it's all on you. And it is absolutely okay in your career to have someone help you along with it. You're the one that's doing all the work. They're just opening the door for you. Right. And so for you to walk through it. So um, networking is really key. I mean, I, I love this program that U of T does and I think it's great. And I wish that when I was in school that it was there when I was there and I talked to Emily Moore a little bit about this because I think it's fantastic because it also gives you the opportunity to network. It gives you the opportunity to reach out to folks like me or some of the other candidates as well, um, knowing that there's a little bit of a connection. So while I can't guarantee you a job and you see something that's interesting in my company, I can maybe at least push it along for a, a, an interview or at least a preliminary discussion. So networking is key. And, it's not easy for a lot of people to network because it means that you kind of have to, I don't want to say schmooze, but you kind of really have to, you know, I don't want to say you have to be an extrovert for it, but you have to be comfortable to talk to people about what they do and, hey, you know, at least get connected with them. And then maybe in five years from now, you never know that you may have, they may have an opening or you may have an opening that they may see as well. So, um, you know, it does help to know people in a company to at least get your foot in the door, but it doesn't guarantee you a job. Did that answer your question, Christina? Yeah. Thanks. Thank Perfect. You. Okay, one more. We got one more, two more. Hi, Jilly. Hi. Thanks for taking time out to share your career story with us. Um, yeah, so no my, problem. Um, so my question was basically um, about your experiences over the years. So if you could give us like one advice, being in the position that you probably were a couple of years back, what would that be? Um, and so I would say is, you need to you need to take every moment for what it is um, and make the most out of it. I think a lot of people have, um, I don't say a lot of people, I've worked with, you know, engineers fresh out of school that believe that because I've got my ring on my finger, I should be doing this instead, right? And, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before when I took my first job is, you know, I did, didn't go for the higher paying money or job. I didn't go for the higher title or anything. Um, I would say you want to look for opportunities where you can learn and grow yourself before you make the next step. And you'll know when you're ready to make the next step. I say nine out of 10 times, you'll know when you're ready to make the next step. That one time someone else is going to really tell you that it's time for you to make the next step. Right. And I think about that, you know, the first job that I did out of school, even when I moved into maintenance, I mean, yes, it took me two months to figure that out. But when I did figure it out, it was taking every opportunity I could with that and learn from them. I take a look at I have done a lot of lateral moves in my career. Every every move that you make in your career doesn't have to be upwards. It can be across. Right. I mean, you can learn for me. I mean, that's my personality. I just want to learn and I want to expand my knowledge. And that's where for me is. um you know, if I'd given myself the advice, I wouldn't have wasted the two months being miserable about being asked to move into maintenance, right? I mean, it's really, you have to take every opportunity for what it is. And at the end of the day, if that opportunity isn't what you want, you there's always other opportunities for you. You can't think that this is the only thing that's there for you. Does that help? Does that answer your question? Yes, thank Great. you very much. Thank yeah, you. no problem. More, Vincent? Hi, Julia and Vincent. Hi, Vincent. Uh, my question is kind of related to the reference as well. So... There are a couple companies that I want to get in after graduating mm -hmm. and and they can reference me for like for the like job. But my question is like if I ask them for the reference and they do give me the reference and I don't get the job the first try, does that damage my brand, like my personal like reputation or something if I ask for the second time? I no, I don't I don't think it does, but I love that you recognize your brand. 
because that is something, you know, one of my HR business partners mentioned that, used that phrase for me, I think it was about three or four years ago, what's your brand? So you always want to make sure you have good references, right? Um, if you if you don't get a job because of a specific reference, then you didn't pick your reference as well, right? Um, but if they did the reference check but had multiple candidates and they decide to go with the other candidates, and this, this goes back to, um, you know, making sure that you ask for feedback on why you didn't get the job, right? So you've given them the references and they come back to, you know, unfortunately we've gone through your references, but we don't think you're the right candidate. Make sure you ask for feedback. Find out, was it something that came from the reference check? Was it something that I did? What what made the other candidate better than you? What could you have done differently? But it is key to make sure that the references you are choosing are good references for you. They're not someone that you just kind of know, hey, can you be a reference for me? Make sure that they understand, you know, your character, your working ability, um, and make sure that they understand the role that you're applying for as well. Because depending on the type of role you're applying for, you may have a different type of person being a reference for you. Like if you're looking for a really technical job, you're going to want someone who's technical to be a reference for you. If you're looking for something that's more of a people leader job, you're, you're more likely going to want to have a people leader who's a reference for you. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you for your advice. Perfect. All right, so uh, Julie is, um, so is Chemtrade hiring? Like we, we're entering a recession, people are worried about the economy. Are you growing? Are there jobs available for recent graduates? What's going on with hiring right now? So right now, so Chemtrade is, it's interesting because our offices in Toronto, I would say are not hired because our offices in Toronto are just, it's mostly finance people. I happen to be based out of Toronto, but my role actually before COVID hit was an at-home role because my team, none of, none of my direct reports live in, actually, no one on my team actually lives in Toronto. Everyone on my team actually lives across Canada and the U.S. There are, I would say, entry-level positions in terms of process engineers, um, maintenance engineers, but they're all based across, I mean, you'd have to be willing to relocate. Um, they are based, um, the majority of them right now are based in the U.S. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to change, help change the mindset a little bit. Um, uh, historically, because our company was built on acquisitions, we've got a lot of folks that want to hire someone that's got 15 years experience. You know, we need to hire someone 15 years experience or 20 years experience. The challenge with that is that there's not a lot of people that have that experience that want to leave their current jobs, right? And then the other challenge with that is then you bring in someone who's just stuck in their ways and doesn't want to move things forward. Whereas, you know, we've hired... Um, at um at a couple of our plants we've hired we actually hired you know the co-op student program or the pey program equivalent we've hired them at a school and then you see them and they're working and they're great um i know i've got a, a a young engineer working for me she's an electrical engineer based out of brandon and she's fantastic i mean she doesn't have a 20 plus year experience she actually i didn't hire her she was you know she joined the company about four years ago but it's it's great to have that so chemtrade is hiring it's just nothing that's in the toronto area You'd have to look at the postings. There are some that, um, you know, may ask for, you know, three to five years, five plus years. So that's the other piece, too. Don't be afraid to put your resume in, even though the ask is for five plus years experience. I mean, don't apply for something that's asking for 10 to 15 and leadership experience. But if there is something that's asking for three to five years experience, don't be afraid to put your resume in. That's a great piece of advice i've been trying to convince people of the same thing because yeah. it can scare people off even just yeah. you know it says two years experience is so common on many postings and it scares people off 
Yeah, I would be applying for that because I, I know for me personally, we put a lot of those job descriptions together and this is the ideal candidate. But as you're flipping through resumes, I mean, I, I like to look at, especially when I'm hiring someone who, you know, when you're hiring someone fresh out of school, or even someone with one or two years experience, you know, they actually don't have a lot of experience. So I like to look at a lot of the other things that they do, right. And a lot of the other things that are on their experience, where they've, you know, done co-op terms and what they've done, even some of the, you know, extracurricular activities they do, because it says a lot about their working ethic and all that stuff. Right. So we're going to emphasize all of that on our resumes and our LinkedIn profiles too, right? Not yes. just the work experience, but the co-op, the project work experience. Yeah. And yeah. My, I mean, my LinkedIn resume is actually pretty dry. I really do need to pump it up a bit. But if you take a look at it, it's interesting because when I, before I started, I took a look at my boss's LinkedIn profile and he, his profile is amazing because he talks about, you know, what kind of stuff he's done and what he's done here. And that's something that I need to pump up my resume or my LinkedIn with a little bit more. Anyways, that's um, great advice, Julie. Thanks for joining us here in class and on, on career. Yeah, no problem. So I'm gonna, I've got it on record here. So we'll talk about what we might do with that afterwards, but I think everybody sure. appreciates the insights and advice. Let's give uh, our interview a bit of round of applause. Thanks. Thanks guys for having me. I really appreciate it. That's great, Julie. Thanks so much. I know you're connected to iLead too, right? Chemtrade is part of yeah. the iLead community of practice. So yeah. we may see you some more and for students who are connected to iLead, um, you know, we'll connect through that. And, and there's that community of practice uh, there's a meeting coming up sometime. Yeah, November 30th. I will be down there for it. So if any of you guys are there, I mean, come by and say hi to me because I probably won't remember names and faces. I'm, you know, especially when it's online. But uh, come by and say hi to me if I see you there. Great. Thanks so much, Julie. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You've been listening to Career Buzz, stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about me at careercycles.com. And also for any questions about career counseling, check out careercycles.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email me. It's mark with a K at careercycles.com. Thanks to my guest today, Julie Lau. Technical production today was by Lucy Welsh. Subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app, And find it at the podcast link at careercycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. here on CIUT. That's it for today's episode of Career Buzz. Thanks for listening.